Hello, and welcome to the Innovate IPM podcast, where we are passionate about the future of the industrial projects professions, presenting you the best of project management, people, and practices, combining the wisdom of time-tested methods with the cutting-edge technologies and advancements that are modernizing our craft. Our mission is to contribute to the growth and progress of the industrial project management community. It's time to talk scope, schedule, and budget. Let's start the show. Hey there, Innovate IPM community. It is Rob Williams, your host of the Innovate IPM podcast. And this has been an unusual time to say the least. So oil markets are struggling in the midst of a global pandemic. This is a double whammy for anyone in the business and really in the global economies as a whole. Oil funds are crashing, storage is filling up to the brim. Is this all a sign we've been asleep at the wheel for too long? Perhaps a wake up call is needed. And while all of this sounds dire, these kinds of large scale challenges breed innovation and they push us to have to do better. How will technology play a role in easing the stress in the markets? How will business improvements change the way we operate globally? What kind of policy changes might be in the pipeline as we learn to deal with these unprecedented times? I believe we'll come out on the other side stronger and smarter than before. History has overall shown consistent improvements in the livelihoods of people. So hold on. It's going to be a bumpy ride for a while, but take this time to level up your skills and knowledge. Take this time to keep your networks thriving. Figure out how in this unusual time you can continue to provide value in the market. And in light of all this, I thought it would be great to get a feel for how the upstream side of business is reacting. So our guest in today's podcast is a friend of Innovate IPM and he knows his business. Justin Godier is the host of the Oil & Gas Global Network's podcast called Oil & Gas On Shore. He works in the upstream oil and energy industry dealing with drilling fluids, and drilling operations. He's degreed in petroleum engineering from South Alberta Institute of Technology. And Justin offers his personal insights into the oil and gas markets and what it means to personnel, energy companies, and what the future of the industry might look like. He unabashedly makes some predictions that might be considered contrary to popular opinion. For this reason, I really enjoy my conversations with Justin. I think you will too. You can find out how to get a hold of Justin in the show notes. So be sure and go there. You'll find his LinkedIn account as well as his website for the Oil & Gas Onshore podcast. Without further ado, here's Mr. Justin Godier. Hey, Justin. How's it going? Hey, I'm doing well, Robin. How you doing today? And I'm I'm good. Uh, it's been good. busy. Thank, yeah. Thank, thankfully, yeah, yeah. Is, is are you busy or productive? Um, <laughs> that's a good question. Yeah, maybe we need to. I probably need to check my earned value and see how well I'm doing. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it's been it's been productive and busy, and uh, you know we're we're trying to keep keep the podcast rolling along and and get good awesome. guests on and all that kind of stuff. And well, it's an honor to be on, man. I appreciate yeah. this. It's great to have you, as usual. Um, yeah. So it's funny, we're actually recording this after 
the first recording. So it's going to go out in a, in, in, in a different sequence, but uh, that'll be okay. Yeah, no, it's, it's good. I mean, for the listeners, yeah, we recorded, what was it? Maybe a month and a half ago, two months. I don't yeah, even remember. Time's flying by. I'm not sure. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so obviously circumstances have changed since then. And uh, we got talking and yeah, I think having something right now, make things a little more relevant. And yeah. uh, you know, I can speak on a few things, you know, sitting in my chair, you know, through the lens that I see uh, in, in today's market and my experience going through everything. But uh, ultimately, yeah, I'll leave it up to you to ask the questions, but uh, I'm glad to be back on, man. Yeah. Yeah. And so to, to back up what you're saying uh, right now, as of this recording, uh, oil prices have dropped uh, mm-hmm. for the first time in history below zero, right? Yeah. For WTI. And uh, well, we're at 1428 today, I believe right now. That's good. So that's the futures. Yeah, WTI, according to Hard Energy, so they're on point. But yeah, it um, Tuesday were, were interesting, right? Never seen <laughs> negative, was it negative 36 or something close yeah. to 40 it hit. Yeah, that's what was crazy too. Like I, I expected to see like negative 40 cents, you know, or yeah. something like that. When I started seeing the headlines that it was negative and then I opened it up and it was negative 35 and, and some change or something like that. Just a total shock. <laughs> yeah. system to see that number. And, uh, yeah, man, you know, and, and I'm on the, I'm on the refining side of things and it's, it's different. You know, there, there's obviously a glut in, in oil where we have to figure out, you know, where's all this oil going to move to. And there's storage issues. If anybody's paying to attention to the news right now, I had somebody mm-hmm. ask me, they were like, well, that means the refiners can buy it for cheap now. I'm like, well, the refiners aren't moving oil either. Nobody's, right. nobody's using the end product. So it, yep. it, it doesn't, there's no value to the refiner if they can't move it to, it just sits there. And yes. so then you have a liability, you got to find storage for it and, uh, and all that kind of good stuff. But you know, you know, you're, yeah. you're on the upstream side of things and, and I really wanted to get your perspective on this whole thing and just see kind of what, what, what you're seeing from, from that angle. Yeah, no, it and just to give some context, I mean, um yeah, I mean the whole world's basically come to a screeching halt and so the majority of demand for oil comes from transportation whether it's uh you know, it's airplanes, vehicles, cruise ships, uh ships moving um, you know, products all over the world, so supply chain, a lot of supply chains have come to a screeching halt and so um you know, I think some close to probably 40 million barrels a day of oil uh has, has the demand of that has come off the market. And so mm. it's, uh, yeah, ultimately it's comes down to supply and demand. And, and if, and if you have too much of something and no one's willing to buy it, well then that value just drops. And, and with regards to the negative oil price, um, it, it's, it's confusing for most, I believe. And even myself, I don't understand it, but it has to do a lot with contracts and futures. Um, I'll put a little bit of a plug in for digital wildcatters. If you search their YouTube channel, they did a, uh, Colin McLeland, who's a buddy of mine, did a great, explanation as to why the that why the actual value of oil um according to the market went below zero dollars and went into the negatives and uh it's i find not a lot of people understand that so if, if you're if you're someone out there who actually <clears throat> is willing wants to learn and kind of understand that side of, of why it happened uh, again it's the digital wildcatters youtube channel uh colin put out a video yeah i think it was either i think it was actually on monday um after all this happened okay. and so uh it, it's it's good you know just to kind of get an understanding on that and uh but yeah with regards to 
the, uh, the upstream market right now. It's um, to, to, to get of a little reference back to when things were going well, um, you know, back in 2014, 2015, the rig count, the, the, the active drilling rig count in the U.S. was around 2,100 rigs. And then it dropped down all the way to 392. Mm. Um, and that was, you know, that was around May of 2016. We then climbed up to about, um, I think it was close to, it was about 1,175 rigs at the peak of 2018. Uh, and then since then, it's just done a pretty steady decline, even before this whole, uh, you know, oil price crash, right. um, oil prices at that time, when we peaked with rate count, uh, I think they are around 52 bucks, 50 bucks. And now we sit here basically at, you know, hovering around zero with the rig count in the U S being around 500, mm-hmm. um, and so what that means for upstream folks drilling in completions primarily, and, and of course, midstream as well gets affected. But, uh, when the rig, when the rig count drops, um, that, you know, that means that there's no more wells to complete. So drilling completions gets, gets hit pretty hard. As soon as people start, uh, you know, cutting their capital budgets, the easiest thing to do is just to stop drilling and completing wells. Yeah. And I think this was actually just a, this whole thing has been a catalyst for what was ultimately supposed to happen because you had a lot of companies out there that were leveraged and, you know, they were, they had leveraged their debt so high that, you know, their, their stock prices were dropping already. There was already too much oil on the market. Saudi and Russia had their battles. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's kind of the, the bubble was about to pop. And I think coronavirus was just the needle that ultimately ended up popping it. Um, and so, yeah, you know, the unfortunate thing is there's a lot of jobs that are, you know, coming off the market and it's, it's, yeah, the economy's suffering because of it. People aren't allowed to go back to work. Uh, so it's, it's, it's weird. It's like the, you know, the stars are aligning, um, all for the wrong reasons, but ultimately I think it's going to be a huge correction and some serious eye opening and a huge reality check for, uh, oil and gas as a whole. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's going to change the way we do business. It's going to change the way we implement, um, technology. Uh, people are going to have to go back in my opinion not only people or, you know, not only companies, but I think people in general have to get back to the fundamentals of, of what it means for, for, for fi- for proper financial management. Um, back in the day, my parents never bought anything unless they could pay cash for it. And they were always, you know, they, they preached to me positive cash flow and not in those terms, but the, yeah. the idea behind that. Um, and it's surprising to me where, you know, people can make well over a hundred thousand dollars a year for years. And then all of a sudden, you know, they get their pay cuts or, you know, they, they lose their job and they can't survive a month. Like it's yeah. unfortunate, but we get so used to spending and doesn't matter what kind of credit you have. You can somehow still, you know, assume so much crap that you don't need. And it's the same with companies, you know, like, um, people are going to have to start giving money back to investors and people are going to have to start making better business decisions. Um, and this is ultimately going to force them to do that, which I think in the long run is a good thing. Yeah, and I think you know, go to your point of of the individuals making six figures and still <coughs> still struggling in these kinds of times. I mean, they're living paycheck to paycheck. It's just a common theme, especially here in the United States. 
But I think also, I think this is going to, this is going to expose a lot of businesses that are living paycheck to paycheck. Yes. So we're, we're going to see a lot of those guys crumble away or maybe they end up restructuring or, you know, whatever they do, but it's, it's going to be a different environment. I totally agree with you on that. Mm -hmm. On a personal level, like on a personnel level, excuse me. Yeah. You know, what, what kind of, you said we went from what, 11,000 to 500 rigs in the last Uh, two years? 1,100. So 1,200 rigs down to about 500. And then before the previous downturn, it was about 2,100. Okay. Okay. So 1,200 down to to 500 now. Yeah. Um, I suspect that uh, my guess is to be anywhere, hover around 200, 250 rigs and never get past 300 until the, until the end, until oil gets back up. But I, I think the new norm for drilling rate count, um, and that's, that's excluded. I'm just talking lower 48, um, is it will probably be around 250 rigs, which is, yeah. it's never, I mean, that's, it's never hovered around there forever. So it's, been a long <laughs> it's, time, it's right? crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but, that's a lot of, that's a lot of people, right? That's a lot of employees who, uh, who are out there mm-hmm. trying to feed their families and whatnot. Who, who's the most sensitive out of that group of people who, who ends up getting the, the ROF first? <laughs> Uh, it's, it's the, the field personnel. Um, it's the ones that truly make, uh, the upstream market move and, and, and they're the ones out there doing the grunt work. They're, they're, they're the ones executing, you know, they're not really, you know, some, some aren't involved in planning. Um, but ultimately when, when us folks are sitting here behind our computers in the office coming up with these plans, they're the ones that make it happen and they're vital to it. Um, the unfortunate part is when, you know, when, when the activity drops, the people in the field, um, end up getting let go because companies cannot just pay for them to sit on the sidelines waiting for the things to go back. So, um, for, for our line of industry, um, the upstream, you know, you have, um, a significant amount of people running around the Permian, uh, in every basin that they're drilling and completing wells. And for us, you know, my company that I work for, which is AES Drilling Fluids, um, you know, we, we've, our rig count has dropped significantly and, um, we've had to lay off several field personnel. Um, some of which are, are extremely talented individuals who we, we hate to let go because that's, you know, that's talent that we're going to need when this thing turns around. But from a balance sheet perspective, we just can't afford as a company to keep them around. Some people have done furloughs. Um, you know, I will say companies like ourselves and, and I'm, going to brag a little bit and more so for our management teams and board of directors, if they made some very strategic business decisions during this whole down or during when times were good leading up to this downturn, um, you know, as, as, as service companies, it's, it's when times are good, it's easy to go into different operators or, you know, different customers and say, Hey, you know, we want to be the cheapest. We want to win your work, this and that. But what a lot of people don't realize is when you go and you be the cheapest and you undercut everybody, you're not able to sock away as much cash as you normal or as would otherwise would if you were companies that sort of had a strong backbone and say, we're not going to be the cheapest, but we're going to add the most value. And hopefully you can quantify that value because now companies are forced to put people that add value to critical tasks um, and add value to the customers are being put on furlough. So if I, if you're my customer and you expect me to answer my phone 24 hours, seven days a week. Cause that's how we roll on the drilling side of, of things. 
and I tell you, Hey, look, customer, um, you're going to end up calling on this during this week off that I'm, I'm supposed to be off. My company's not paying me because they've cut my salary in half. You're going to have to deal with Joe Blow, who you've never met, who doesn't truly understand your operations. Mm -hmm. I'm glad I was able to save you some money when things were good and you were looking for the cheapest price. But because of that, my company doesn't have as much money. And now they're having to cut my salary in half and put me on the sidelines. So now I can't service you when you need me the most. Mm -hmm. So like that is, is I can't emphasize that enough. Like as an industry and especially on the upstream side, it's so important to be, to, to actually value service and, and, and pay premium and not necessarily like, you know, back in the day where you could rake people over the coals, but, and I don't think that happens anymore, especially after that first downturn we had, I say first, it's, it was most people's first over 2014, 15, but yeah. Um, you know, just reemphasizing like people need to make money because of times like this to where they can keep people employed and still have people that add value to the entire system, um, keep them working because if not, then, then you're, you're, you're going to suffer even worse than people already are. Well, I think that's a valid point and, and it's a very good point. And I think we see that in other sectors of the industry as well. And in particular, uh, the engineering <laughs> procurement construction firms, they run on razor thin margins. Didn't used to, right? The floors of the world, the Bechtels of the world, they used to have pretty good profit margins. Even the smaller guys, the more boutique setups had a pretty decent profit margin. But again, it's, it's another service industry. And, um, you know, when you're an owner, you're on the owner side of things and, and your whole goal ends up being... Uh, whatever the next quarterly report is going to be, right? If you're a publicly traded company, the the whole name of the game is to crush all your expenses down and go with the cheapest everything. Yeah, go with the cheapest uh, whoever the cheapest um, bid is on a, on a project, and then you run into the exact same scenario that you're describing right now. And I've been I've been at those EPCs, and when times get tough, I mean they'll cut rates on people. You know, yep. thank God that they can still work, but they'll cut a bunch of people. Then they'll cut rates on the people mm -hmm. and tell them that they're lucky to be working at all. You know? Yeah. No. And it's, yeah, it's, it's all too common. And so I think, like you said, kind of going back, ultimately it's going to be a wake up call. Um, you know, what it looks like on the other side of this. I don't know. I think oil and gas is, is, is going through a major shift whether want people want to admit it or not. I think oil and gas companies are, are going to have to, consciously try to, you know, work together with other industries within the energy ecosystem. Um, and so it, part of it excites me and, and part of it's scary, right? I mean, I don't know, like, I, I think in my lifetime, I think drilling wells is going to be an absolutely necessary, absolutely necessary for humanity to survive. Um, but as generations evolve and, and people look towards um, investing in clean energy, uh, you know, I, I encourage us that are in oil and gas to continue to educate um, people that are, aren't necessarily involved with, you know, the, the oil and gas industry. Um, but ultimately, everything that we do is, is touched by, you know, the, the, the original drilling a hole in the ground because of the hydrocarbons that are required to build and do everything in yeah. our world. Uh, so I think right now, especially people, you know, and, and in drilling and completions, you know, the word frack uh, around the world is almost as serious as the word abortion. You know, it's, it's insane 
And, and granted, I think the shale revolution has a lot of flaws, mm-hmm. but the, the, the reality is, is us as an industry, we have to continue to, um, we, we have to bring unity and energy instead of create these divides that, um, that have been put out there. And, and, and like in oil and gas, it almost seems like it's us against the world, but it, we, yeah. we can't continue to operate like that. And, uh, which again is exciting. I mean, I'm, uh, I think in my career, you know, there, who knows, there may be a chance that I go from drilling wells to all of a sudden setting up solar panels. I mean, God knows what's going to happen, but, Don't know, uh, yeah. <laughs> but, but it's, 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 it's silly to think that, you know, renewables and, and our business is, is slowly shifting. I mean, you look at investors, I mean, the, you know, wall street doesn't want to invest in, in, in people drilling shale wells, trying to make a profit. Like they're not going to do that anymore. <laughs> so it's, where are they putting yeah, their money? It, it's a market know? change that, that, um, I'm not even sure if the general public really even even <coughs> understands or or is aware of right now there's entire countries divesting from fossil fuels in general mm-hmm. there's there's you know um a lot of pensions a lot of hedge fund money that's yes. also being diverted from fossil fuels into other investments not necessarily even into energy but into other investments and and to your point and this was actually a my favorite part of the last conversation that we had, which is going to come out later. <laughs> yes. The old conversation that'll be new after this yeah. one. Um, but yeah, I mean the diversity of, you know, the, the realization that we are in the energy industry, right. Yeah. It, it's kind of like, um, what's the, what's the analogy with McDonald's, right? If you heard this, like McDonald's isn't really in the burger industry, they're in the real estate industry. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. Because yeah. they, they own all their land. They always put it in the most expensive, you know, plot of land in town. And, and, and after the years go by, the land ends up being worth more than the actual restaurant does. Yeah. The structure and all that kind of stuff. So, so you look at everything with eyes wide open and you realize, okay, here's the, here's the problems or challenges that we're, we're, um, having to overcome right now. And if we mm-hmm. look at it with, well, I just want to drill, drill, drill. And if you tell me I can't drill, 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 or nobody wants me to drill, drill, or nobody wants to give me money to drill, drill, drill. Well, if that's all I'm ever going to do, then, then I've got no safety net. I got no backup. Yes. And then, and then you go from living, you're back to, you know, you went from living paycheck to paycheck and not having a paycheck. <laughs> but if, but if, you, if you can look at the bigger picture and say, okay, I'm going to understand this business as a business and the business we're in is in much broader than the task that we do every day. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, I think, I think that those people with that kind of vision are going to find all of the opportunities. And I, I think this is the optimistic side of me is that this coronavirus situation is going to catalyze a lot of that change. Yes. No, yeah. I, I agree. And, and one thing that I love about our industry is the, is the community, the networking aspect and how resilient we are uh, in oil and gas and our ability to adapt to change. Like, <clears throat> yep. I don't know any other industry. And again, I may be biased because I've been drilling well since I was 18 years old, but ultimately, I mean, we have to, we, we are jobs and our security lies in the hands of people using fossil fuels and, and burning gas, buying things that are, you know, yeah. require oil and gas. So, um, we're resilient. We have a, a extremely strong skill set. Um, I know a lot of, you know, a lot of people that from the downturn year, a few years ago, uh, ended up jumping out of the oil and gas industry and, you know, people look at resumes like, man, you know, you got a solid resume. You've obviously got a lot of experience, but 
I know as soon as oil and gas gets going, you're going to leave my company to go back to oil and gas. So, you know, that, that presents some challenges for folks that are, you know, considering leaving this industry is, 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 uh, somehow guaranteeing that you're not going to jump back into the, this, this money wagon, um, that you're so used to. But, uh, but yeah, it's just, yeah, really just to supplement on that point. It's, um, it is, it's, it's gonna, it, it's, yeah, I, uh, you know, I thought, so I've, my customers are drilling engineers and, uh, I know quite a few of them real well and consider them close friends. And I even asked them, I asked two of them today, um, I said, man, you know, we're talking and just, you know, addressing the elephant in the room almost every day. And it's, and then I asked them like, have you ever considered like what you would do if you weren't drilling holes right now? Like what, like, would you, would you, what have you considered anything? Mm. And I've never had one person be like, you know what? Yes, I would do this, this and this. They're like, I don't know anything else. Like I only, and like these guys are drilling engineers, which have petroleum engineering as their uh, formal education. Right. Um, and so, yeah, it's like people are banking on this thing that's going to yeah. last forever. And so, um, you know, to, 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 to add to that, I mean, that I'm forcing myself to go back to school to, to get my master's, um, in global energy management. Yeah. Yeah. I'm starting this fall and and not to plug myself, but I say that to say if anyone right now is, is considering, you know, that that's really been strongly associated with oil and gas and your skill set is somewhat specialized within oil and gas. Um, now is a time to learn, um, whether it's, um, you know, like coding or, um, you know, just broadening your, your, your skill set, And I say coding just because, uh, you know, that's so popular right now is getting into data science and all that kind of stuff. Right. <clears throat> but there's a lot of free course or I say free courses. There's a lot of like just free educational tools out there. Um, take courses, get different certificates that, that kind of like build your skill set outside of just your, your position that you're in currently, uh, I, I think is going to, is certainly going to help because we just don't know, what this thing's going to look like. It, it, we could be a $25 oil, you know, for the next six months and actually, you know, the E the EIA, um, projects 2020, uh, for WTI for the rest of the year to be at 20, 29, 34, and then 20 for 2021, 41, 12, which is not that high. So, I mean, if you can survive for the next two years making, you know, what you're making after pay cuts and furloughs, then, you know, I applaud you. But if not, like, unless there's a serious demand or we go to war or something drastic happens. Um, I mean, hell we're, we're still producing, I think like 12 million, 12, two a day right now in the U S and it wasn't too long ago that we were only producing like seven, you know, 7 million barrels a day. And now we're at, yeah, well, not, we're almost double that. We were close to f- shoot f- 13, I think there in March, we were like 13, one. Yeah. So it's like, we're, we're going to have to slow down production and keep it down for a while. Yeah. Well, and you, you'd made a comment too, that I recall from our last conversation, there, there needs to be more focus on value and less on volume. And yes. Yeah, so, and that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Let, me, let me ask you this. What, what is the, what is the price per barrel that, that makes the market stabilized? 
Like what's the minimum? So it's, that's a great question. And, and again, if anyone out there that's listening is like a, is like a business analyst or something, they're probably going to laugh, but look, I'm just a dumb roughneck from Calgary, Alberta. So a, a lot of the stuff I know company. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. So, I mean, I'm just, I'm really just sort of like explaining what I know based off of what I, what I read. So, yeah, yeah. um, so to answer that question, um, you know, just knowing the customers who I deal with, uh, I, I truly think $30 a barrel is a, is a, is a good rough number to, as like a somewhat of a break even. And what does break even mean? It means a lot of different things to a lot of different people, but I think as an industry and even in my, within my company, um, and our customers, I think $30, I think the new norm where people need to start planning it is, is further at 30 to $40 a barrel. Um, you know, they, they talk about lift costs and that's basically when people go into an area, let's just say, you know, whatever Exxon goes into the Permian and they have their land, they know what their break even is, uh, price per barrel. So like some people in the Permian, it, they can drill a well and at $20 a barrel and greater, they're making money. Some people it's 30 and it's, it's very area specific. The Eagle Ford, it was years ago. Now I forget exactly what they were, but they are around $30, $35 a barrel for some operators, I think. But, uh, it, 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 you know, anytime oil is below that, they lose money for every barrel they produce. And so I would think that, like I said, I think 30 is <laughs> the magic number, which is yeah. it's crazy, but yeah, just roughly sure. About 30. I mean, yeah, that's, so. that's kind of my thought to be honest with you. I would love yeah. to see $30 a barrel oil, like even, you know, if, it, if, if, if somehow they could lock in a price at $30 a barrel, it would be crappy relatively speaking, but yeah, I think people would be able to restructure themselves and figure out how to make it work. So, yeah. I mean, uh-huh. you know, how long do you think we'll be in this thing, man? How long before we start seeing that again? Uh, it all depends on when the government lets people go back to work, which I disagree with, with a lot of what's happening right now. I think people at their own risk should go back to work. Um, it might sound cold hearted and, and it might be, you know, I'm literally saying that from my position, I have, a, you know, I'm 34 years old. I'm relatively healthy, I believe. But like I, I at this point, it's like enter at your own risk. I would go back to work and do what I was doing. Like I know a lot of people that, got the coronavirus that suffered. And I say a lot, like probably six or seven people that, that have actually got it, overcame it. Now have the antibodies that can go out and do things. Mm -hmm. Um, if you look at the data, I I think it shows that, you know, I I think if you were to test every single person within the U S for coronavirus, I think the death rate would be significantly lower than what it is. Sure. Um, so so I guess to answer your question, uh, it, it, it depends. And that's a shitty answer, but it is my answer just because I just, we don't know when everyone's going to go back to work and start operating under normal conditions. Right. Um, consumers are going to have to start spending money. Um, and how do you spend money? Well, obviously you can buy a lot of stuff over the internet, but um, yeah, we're going to have to start driving. We're going to have to start eating out. We're going to, we're going to have to, you know, and not depend on these crazy stimuluses that are coming out. In my opinion, I don't, I don't agree necessarily with, with a bunch of stimulus 
money coming through the market, but yeah, they, they sure know how to sign off multi-trillion dollar stimulus packages quickly, don't they? <laughs> yeah. And, and again, like I'm sure someone out there that's a lot smarter than me can explain it and, yeah. and may change my perspective. But from my, you know, my standpoint, I just, I don't understand, you know, how that's a long-term solution. Um, so it to, but to like put a ballpark in it, uh, I think by 2021, like, I think it's going to be a very slow process. I think when people go back, people are going to be hesitant to shake hands. I think people are going to be hesitant yeah. to go to bars, restaurants, um, flying. I think maybe, you know, I think that, I think, uh, shit's going to get more expensive because you know, where a restaurant maybe had 150 people capacity, they may cut that by 70, you know, by 30%. Yeah. So you say you're, you're, you know, instead of having a hundred people being eat, able to eat at a time, you have 70. Okay. Well then the price is going to go up. And then same with airplanes, you know, like if they have to take out the middle seat, I would assume airline air, air tickets, uh, uh, tickets for, you know, for, for to fly are going to go up. Um, so I just think it's, it's going to be weird to see what happens with regards to inflation after this as well. Yeah. That, uh, that's, that's definitely one that I don't, I don't hear anybody talking about enough. I think that uh, <laughs> I want to hear more about that, you know, cause that's, that's one of the yeah. calculations that should be, should be discussed. There's so many variables right now. It's insane. And, and that's, yeah, that, that's the thing. It's, and then, and then what happens in a year from, or not even a year, what are we pretty much may what happens in six right. months when this son of a gun comes back? comes back yeah we're gonna be in the same are we gonna be in the same boat hopefully not <laughs> well but, that's why i think you know i think the key to this whole thing and 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 we'll change subjects right after this but i think the key to this whole thing is is uh, uh is the vaccine till they come up with a vaccine we're going to be dealing with a cyclical event that that they'll probably yeah. let us out the doors one day and then three weeks later we're all in lockdown again and and I don't see yeah. any stabilization happening until that point, at least until that point. And then once they make the vaccine, we're, we're a month, maybe a year before it proliferates through the, through the entire community. So, yeah. And then it gets into like, okay, are, is the government going to force us to take vaccines? I sure <laughs> hope not. Cause I, I don't take flu vaccines. Am I yeah. going to take coronavirus vaccine? I don't no. know. My gut says no. So I, I mean, people probably hate me by now, but I'm just, I'm just being real with who, you know, my thoughts on things. And yeah, and, but, but ultimately I'm, I'm never, you know, if, 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 if I read something or if I'm educated on something that, that maybe changes my mind, I, I'm open to anything, but, but that, but that's kind of my thought too, is it's like, how much is then the government going to control on what we do and what we don't do? Yeah. I mean, we li you know, and then they're telling us we were forced to wear masks in Harris County. Well, I thought, you know, that, that to me sounds less and less like the United States of America, <laughs> which is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And but, from a Canadian at that, huh? <laughs> yeah, I yeah, know. That's why I moved down here, man. I don't want to be controlled. This wasn't the idea you had when you came yeah, down. No, but but the but the, but what I love about it is the intent is good, right? Like the government's intent is 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 from like the viewership, like seems good, but it doesn't. Sometimes the solution is not always better than the problem itself. So it's like it's crazy. So anyway, you got me going, man. It's a weird world we live in. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But it's, it's going to be for the better. I think people are going to look back. I think it's going to be, there's silver lining around it. And I think looking back, it's going to be a great event. Um, and, and, and I'm, I'm really, I, the chaos to me just breeds innovation and creativity. And, um, because we do live in a, you know, in a free market country, um, there's going to be a lot of, a lot of great things that come out of this. It's just getting through. It's just a little ugly. 
Yeah, I agree. But it's that, uh, it's that old cliche, right? Um, friction sharpens iron. So hell yeah. I like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. man. <laughs> well, all right, man. Thanks for all your thoughts and insights. And, uh, we won't quote you in the, in the wall street journal or anything like that, but, uh, <laughs> you can quote me anywhere, man. I've been blamed for a lot worse. I can promise you. <laughs> and congrats on the, uh, decision to go back to school. I think it's a great idea. Hey man, you got any advice for, for folks right now that are dealing with layoffs? What's, what should they be doing to, uh, to prepare for whatever's next? Well, I usually throw in a few cuss words into this, but I want to respect your audience yeah. and your role, but, um, work your butt off. Yeah. For even if you have to do it for free and be willing to eat garbage, um, to get back on your feet. I mean, it sounds crazy. Um, you know, buying, going to garage sales and, and flipping things on eBay, like little things like that. Um, yeah. if you've got any sports cards in your basement, or if you live here in the South and you don't have a basement in your attic, um, see what they're worth on, 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 uh, on eBay or anything like that. Like that's very basic, like making a little few pennies here and there. Uh, but, but networking, um, getting involved in all of the free webinars. Like if you, if you're not on LinkedIn right now and you have a, and, and you're, you know, older than 25, um, you're falling behind, get on LinkedIn, create yeah. a good profile, network with recruiters, uh, people within your industry, um, reach out to people, offer to, you know, if you know, if you know people who maybe own their own company to, to gain experience or, or to build your skill set, tell them you'll work, you know, Hey, I've got a part-time job where I'm furloughed week on week off or every other Friday I have off. I'm willing to work for free for the next six months until I get back on my feet just to learn your industry. Give value to each and every single one of your, or anyone in your network. Um, give more than you take offer to do whatever it takes just to learn and, and associate with more people. Because if you sit at home pouting and, you know, just waiting for something to happen, uh, you're, you're going to, it's, it's, you're going to suffer and you're going to be in a lot of pain. So I just emphasize the power of technology. Hell, if you're sitting at home and you've got some spare time and, and you're interested in who knows what, uh, I don't know, marbles, start a, a marble blog, like do something to keep something your mind going. Yeah. yeah. You know, start a podcast. If you're interested in the Houston Rockets, whatever, start a podcast on the, why you love the Houston Rockets and you'll be, build your community up. Uh, there's just, there's so much out there and the internet is the most powerful tool we have right now. LinkedIn's free. Instagram's free. YouTube's free. Create content around who you are and build your reputation is the most important thing that people can do right now. Yep. hundred percent agree. Great, man. Thanks so much for uh, being on and uh, hope you have a good rest of your week. And thanks Robin. I appreciate it. If anyone wants to reach, reach out and complain about what I said or, or, or whether you agree with me or not, I'd love to engage with your audience too. Um, so hit me up on LinkedIn and uh, I'd love to chat and grab a coffee one day, but uh Anyways, Robin, it's been an absolute pleasure, man. I hope you and the family continue to push through and get through on the other side, happy and healthy, man. Yeah, same for you and uh, and your family as well, man. I'll put all your uh, your links and stuff in the show notes, and I'll make sure and give you a good shout out of the uh, intro. So, yeah, no, I appreciate that, man. Where, and, uh, where to find you? Yeah, and and for all the listeners out there, I had Robin come on my podcast. So if you want to hear, uh, you know, some of the questions and, and some of the banter that we had, that was more focused around him. 
Um, you know, maybe Robin, you can put a link in the show notes for, for yeah. the podcast. I think your episode is fixing to drop here either this week or next week. Um, okay. so kind of, you know, good timing, but, uh, if anyone's interested out there, it's oil and gas onshore. And, uh, Robin and I had a great conversation around, you know, some topics that, uh, more relate to what he does on his day to day. So yep. check awesome. it out. Yeah, man. All right. Well, we'll talk to you later. Awesome. Thanks buddy. Yeah. 